it's awesome to worship together, to gather, to center our hearts on Christ. And if you're new, welcome. Uh, we're actually starting a brand new series tonight that kind of dovetail off what we finished up the last few weeks. And so Aiden's going to keep playing here for a little bit. We're going to actually have an activity that I want you to do. You were given a card when you came in because the reality is this changed series that we just came out of meaning this changed mind, this changed heart, this changed purpose, this changed significance that we're to have, all this change that God wants to do in our hearts. We kind of narrow down into First Peter to say, here, here's what it kind of signifies. Here's the things that are to mark your life as one who has said yes to Jesus, who's fallen after Jesus. And then the very last chapter of First Peter, Peter actually says something that I think dovetails and ties into this idea of the change God wants to continue to do in our lives. And he says these words in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. He says, Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that your family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of suffering, same kind of attacks, if you will. And it's this idea that spiritual warfare is a real deal. And we wanted to take three weeks and kind of look at that. And I know for some, it's like this nebulous thing and they have struggled to get their mind around it. For others, it becomes this preoccupation that's way overblown. And, and so we just want to look biblically, what, what is this? And here's what we know, that there's a battle going on. And if, if God's calling us to change, the enemy doesn't want that. And the enemy's active in our world and active in our land. And so we wanted to take a minute just to kind of say, okay, what does that look like? How do we get our minds around this and, and paint a picture a little bit? Ephesians chapter 6 is one of the most predominant passages that speaks about this. And the Apostle Paul writes, finally, after the whole end of this book, he kind of puts a, a bookmark that says, finally. You be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Meaning we don't stand in our own power, we stand in Christ's power. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. It's, everything is about what Jesus did. And he says, you're to put on the full armor of God so you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people next to you. It's not against the people in your family, people at work. It's not what our struggle is about. He paints the picture. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He paints this picture that what you see, that there's more going on than what you just can get your eyes around. And that's what we see throughout the scriptures. And so here's the activity that I asked our creative team to do a few weeks ago was just answering one simple question. You got that question handed to you as you came in. Maybe it started thinking... How is our enemy active throughout our land? What is he up to? If we're really in a battle, what is he up to in our world? And so here's what we're going to take the next three minutes to do, okay? So it's going to involve you getting up and moving, which we don't normally do, but we're going to involve you doing this, okay? Up here are two tables that have transparencies. How many of you are over 35? Then you know what that is. <coughs> That's an overhead projector. If you're under 20, that's an overhead projector. You've never seen one. 
tonight, you're going to see one. Um, and here's what we're going to do. Sandy's going to come over here, and then uh, we've got maybe Rebecca helping too. Um, we're going to take, you've got a transparency square up here. So just looking for one word, okay? What, what's our enemy up to in our world? What do you see him active maybe in your own life, lives of people around you, lives of our culture, uh, the lives across our, our land? What is he up to? What's his activity? Because we want to claim it, kind of name it what it is, because God wants to do the opposite of that. And so here's what we're going to do. The next three minutes, I'm going to invite you to come up here, write the one word that you're thinking of, write it on the transparency, take it over to the ladies there. They'll assemble it. We'll put it up there. And we just wanted to kind of go through this process of brainstorming all together. How do we see the enemy's activity throughout our land? Okay, that's the simple question. Think about what that might be. And then come jot your answer. you got three minutes, and then we're going to move on with the message. But I'm going to invite you to come right now. Two tables up here. Think about a word that you've got. Write that down. There's permanent markers up here. I don't know about you, but I know when we did this activity a couple weeks ago and preparing for this, you just feel heavy, don't you? It's interesting when you think from a biblical perspective about this idea of spiritual battles and how do we engage in that and I know there's people here who are are still searching out their own faith journey maybe have never come to a place where they've said yes to Jesus and so some of this may feel like a just coming from a different angle for others of us we've been walking with Jesus for a long long time and sometimes you forget how active the enemy is at in our culture, in our world. The people down your street, the people in the cubicle a couple over, the people that you pass or on your sports team. The... And what we wanted to do was look from a biblical perspective, how do we understand how God wants to take that and counter it? Because that's the spiritual battle, right? Like, that's what we see. We experience that ourselves at times, portions of that. But we see that active in our culture, in our world, whether it's on a continent basis or whether it's in the confines of a single home. We see this going on. And so what does it look like to engage in this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. C.S. Lewis wrote this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch and every split second is claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. That there's activity going on that's more than meets the eye, more than just the physical realm of what we see. That's the picture that the Bible paints and, and we realize that there's no way to in three weeks unpack everything but we wanted to kind of boil it down to this idea of recognizing the reality of this that's partly what we're seeing here recognize the reality of what's going on how do we resist against the tactics and the schemes of our enemy and then how do we respond 
as we live life with Jesus and as we follow after him, to recognize the reality. There was a study done September of 13 that surveyed 1,000 U.S. adults, and it showed that the results were 57% of people believed in the existence of the devil. 28% did not believe in the existence. 15% obviously didn't figure out what they believed. We have 40% of another study, a millennial, said Satan is not a real being. He's just a symbol of evil. Kind of like the force, the dark side, if you will. Well, that's interesting when you counter that with some people who go so far that there's a demon behind every bush, right? And everything that happens in their life, it's Satan did it. I have a flat tire. The devil hates me. This jelly donut spilled on my shirt. The devil hates donuts. Okay, that, maybe you're just clumsy. Okay, maybe it's not this reality that the devil doesn't exist. Maybe it's not this reality that he's behind everything. Maybe there's somewhere a biblical understanding somewhere in the middle. C.S. Lewis wrote this, the screw tape letters in your notes. I put four or five books that you might be interested in that deal with this subject, put some verses and scripture that talk about from a general perspective and also specific how do we battle against this in our living. He wrote this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both extremes. So it's not this idea that the devil's behind everything. But it is this understanding that there really is an existence of evil in this world, personified in Satan, devil, Lucifer, that's how the Bible refers to him, a fallen angel who took other fallen angels with him and who are against God's work in this world. They have some dominion, but they don't have, they're not omnipresent. They don't have overwhelming power. In fact, their power is very limited to whatever God says that he's the extreme power. He's all-powerful. He's our creator. You can read more about this existence, and this I don't have time to unpack it, but in Isaiah 14 and Revelation chapter 12, you can kind of begin to get your mind around this a little bit. Jesus faced Satan. We know in Matthew chapter 4 that the the devil actually tempted him three times, and we haven't ever unpacked exactly what all that meant. That's a whole other series. Jesus acknowledged the devil, and spoke about him often through the Gospels. In fact, when you look at the Bible and begin to get an understanding of a description of who the enemy is, we understand that he's the father of all lies, that it's his native tongue, what he speaks. He's the twister of God's truth. He's a thief, that's John 10.10. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his objective. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser of the believers. He's one who blinds people who are not following Christ from even seeing Christ, trying to keep them away from Jesus. He's one who also masquerades as an angel of light, almost putting off this good thing to actually get you away from God and from God's best. He's a roaring lion, 1 Peter talks about that. One who's come to have some dominion in this world, but one who is also doomed, meaning he's on a shot clock that's going to run out at some point. And Jesus is going to come back and make all things right. So he's a defeated enemy. That's why we fight from victory, not trying to secure victory. 
in ourselves. And it's trying to get to this place of understanding what Paul begins to describe in Ephesians chapter 6, which we'll spend more time in week 3, looking at the spiritual armor of what we've been given in Christ. But he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's how we face these battles that come our way. It's not in what we try to muster up. It's in God's strength we stand in that. We are told biblically to be alert and to be aware. We need not be afraid. Greater is he who is in you as a follower of Jesus than he who is in this world, 1 John 4.4. 4. So we're to be alert, we're to be aware of this battle that's going on to recognize what's going on. But we need not be afraid. And so we seek to recognize the reality of the battle we're in. And so often that begins to take place in our mind. That the enemy loves to twist God's truth. Loves to speak lies. When Jesus was speaking about the devil and describing him in John 8 to a group of people who were asking these questions, here's what he had to say. He said he's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So we need to learn to recognize our enemy that speaks lies into our heart and into our mind to, to say, this is the way you should go. Well, does God's word back that up? If it doesn't, then you're on, you're on thin ice, maybe. On unwise places. Learn to recognize the enemy. Replace it with God's truth. Christine Kane writes these words, The devil is a liar, but never forget that he is a very loud liar. You must choose to tune out his voice by turning up the voice of God in your life. Read the word. Memorize God's scripture. Declare his scripture over your life. That's how you counteract these lies that come at us. Lies from a culture perspective that says, this is the way you should go. This is the way you should live. This is what you should pursue. That are straight lies sometimes, right from the enemy, in order to get you detoured off away from growing in your relationship with Jesus and having him change your life. And so it's this counteractive. I want to encourage you this summer. What a great time to pick up a version reading plan and just spend some time in God's word. That if you don't know how to get that, just go to our app and click on the Bible. It'll take you right there. There's thousands of reading plans. If you started this year with it, it's halfway through the year. You know what? And if you fell off and you're not really spending time in God's word, well, what a great time to pick that back up this summer. You can jump back into that. Find a plan. Get into God's word. Psalm 119 says this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, that I may not be taken off course by some other things that are beginning to come in my mind or things that I see. The battle in our mind is about recognizing the enemy's lies, declaring God's truth over our life. That's the model we see in Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The enemy's trying to tempt him. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things, and Jesus is just replying with Scripture. No, this is what God says. And so I'm going to believe this truth, not what you're trying to sell me. The devil loves to bring lies, but you don't have to buy them. You can kind of move them on. The Bible isn't just a book about how to be nice and how to be good. It's our greatest spiritual weapon that wields against the devil's lies and schemes. And we're to use it, to know it, and to utilize it to keep us falling after God and after his best. So much of the tactic of the enemy is to twist and to be active and try to mess up our minds, to get us detoured and deviated away from God's best. 
uh, there's a, a gentleman, author, uh, Tim Downs, who wrote a book called Head Game, looking at this idea of what's called psyops, this idea of psychological operations, kind of this form of understanding warfare, as far back as warfare goes, which is almost like to the very beginning, right? And to understand this, he studied people throughout history who have had engaged in battles. And one of those was Alexander the Great. We've all heard about Alexander the Great. We studied him in high school and learned to understand a little bit. Do you know one of his tactics that he used when he was overmatched and retreating away? He had his armorers make armor that was for a, a size, like a, a seven foot tall or an eight foot tall person. He would make a breastplate, he would make a helmet for people that were taller than his soldiers. And as they retreated, he would leave these behind so that the pursuing army would come up and realize, gosh, I don't know if we want to fight these guys. They're huge. Why do we want to go after them? It's this psychological warfare that happens. And so much of that is very much the games that the enemy plays. The psychological warfare on a spiritual level that says to us, you know what? Satan likes to play these head games to say, it's about our perceived problems. They're just too big. They're too big to overcome. I don't know if even God can help me in this moment. I've sinned too much. I'm too broken. There's no way God would keep hanging around me. He, he's got to give up on me. I would give up on me. And all this psychological stuff that goes on in our mind to get us psyched out that too often, okay, God can't keep loving us or God can't help me out of this mess. One of Satan's greatest tactics is fear. We saw that up there a few times. Is to get us discouraged and to live with this anxiety, to be distracted away and clouded up in our pursuit of being intimate and relating with our creator, with our heavenly father. That if he can get us feeling overwhelmed or too busy for God, or I'm too broken for God, or I'm too far gone, God wouldn't want me, then we become sidelined in our journey of falling after Jesus. And so we put the brakes on the change that God wants to do in our lives because we believed a lie. We've bought into something. The enemy wants to get us isolated from godly people insulated from God himself and distracted away from godly things. And he'll do everything he can to move you away from that, myself away. He loves to play on our fears and we can get so caught up and captivated by the obstacles and the problems and the struggles in life, they almost become bigger than life. Anyone ever felt that way? That your problems become so big, it's like this magnifying glass went on them. Remember when you were a kid? and you had that magnifying glass and you'd see an ant and it looked five feet big, you know, five feet tall, and it's really just magnifying. The enemy loves to do that. To see obstacles or problems or struggles bigger than what they maybe actually are for our great God to handle because he can handle anything. And we can live with this promise that he never leaves us nor forsakes us, that he's got us. I remember fear being a real big part of my life, just being honest, about, I don't know, 14, 15 months ago. Really struggling with fear. I never had a problem sleeping. Like, I'm usually out in two minutes. But I remember a few weeks where I lay down for two hours and I couldn't sleep. I don't know if you've ever been there. 
And it was just these thoughts that kept coming through my mind of failure. These minds of, uh, just thoughts of um, struggle. And I remember uh, getting out some worship music and just putting it in and going for a long, long walk. Just me and God. And just praying. And and there was something about, uh, there's that song, No, No Slave to Fear. I think I had that on repeat for like a week and a half. Everywhere I went, everywhere I drove, because it was just getting at me. Perhaps to look to understand this idea, that's why worship matters. That's why what we do when we gather on Sunday is what you can do uh, in your own life when you get to those moments is to bring worship into this. Why? Because it puts our mind and our heart back on the greatness and the bigness of God and not the bigness of our problems because they're actually not that big in comparison to who our God is. And so when Satan tries to put the magnifying glass on our struggles and our obstacles, remove the magnifying glass and put your mind back on this prayer and worship of who God is and what he's about in our life. If you read the book of Job, uh, and some of you maybe thought that was the book of Job. It's not, book of Job. And toward the very, very end, uh, God has this conversation with Job. And he asks questions for like three chapters, just speaking about the bigness of God. Can I just read you some of God's questions to Job? Here's what he said. Where are you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line across it? On on where of its footing set? Who laid its cornerstone? Have you ever given orders to the morning and shown the dawn the place it's to go? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? It's like God is saying, I do. So these questions, these concerns, these struggles that you're having, Job, I'm a whole lot bigger. And Job's response at the end of these questions is simply this. I know that you can do all things, God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted, period. God, you win. You're big. I'm little. And I don't have to live in this fear because you're with me. Isaiah writes when he speaks about God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. God speaking of himself. There is no comparison. These seem daunting, and they seem big, but they are nothing compared to our creator. They are nothing, and not beyond his reach to fix or to speak into or to bring life to. It's what he does. He's the creator of all things. Our enemy wants us to get isolated, detoured away from God, to not grow in intimacy with him. But we get to stand in our victory because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and in his resurrection secures a place for us, for those who have said yes to Jesus. I need to be alert and I need to be aware, but I never need to be afraid. And I don't have to be overwhelmed. In fact, I can approach these battles when things come into my life or things are coming into the lives of those I love or into our world, I can actually begin to push back on that. I can push back on that lie and replace it with truth. 
I can begin to push back on some of these things that try to thwart and try to get in to our culture to mess up families, to mess up lives and relationships, that I can push back on those through prayer. It's keeping our focus and our proximity on our Savior. It's recognizing our weaknesses because it's in those weaknesses that we begin to understand that's where the enemy strikes. It's where he strikes the most. It's understanding our own weaknesses. That if, if I had a drinking issue before I became a follower of Christ, then going to a bar on Friday night after a really hard week is probably not a wise decision, right? And so that's probably not where I should hang out. I need to use wisdom around my weaknesses. I need to create godly and healthy boundaries around them. I need to hang out with people who can help me grow in that, who can speak into me. If I struggle with gossip or lying or gambling or pornography or alcohol or drugs or anger, then I need to have wisdom to understand, okay, those are my weaknesses. And I need to be against addictive behavior that would draw me toward those. So I need to have healthy accountability. That's why community matters where you can be authentic and real and say, okay, I struggle with this. You struggle with that. Let's pray for each other. And not to shame people, but to simply say, hey, we can be better. Let's point each other better to where God wants us to be. Here's the truth. We will struggle to overcome our temptations and defeat the demons that we continually flirt with. That if you're continually flirting with those addictions or flirting with those temptations or flirting with those demons who haunt you or haunt your family's past, you will struggle to overcome them. That's why it's important to have healthy, godly boundaries, to aim your life in God's direction, to keep short accounts with God, that when we do fall short, we get right back up and say, God, I blew it there. And I, I want to do better. I need to do better. Would you help me? Help me overcome that. Confession and repentance are key. The enemy loves for us to feel guilty and to feel so guilty that we're beyond God's reach now, beyond his grace. You've messed up 101 times. That's too many. Well, no, that's a lie. Because the truth is his grace is sufficient. And, And so it is this idea of aligning my life now more and more. And if I'm struggling with that, I need to put healthy boundaries around that to recognize my weaknesses. God wants you to experience godly sorrow that leads to repentance because of his kindness and his goodness, that we be refreshed by his forgiveness. We're to remain anchored to God's truth. That's how you recognize the lies, is to say, here's the truth of what God has to say. So I'm gonna recognize those lies. I'm gonna renew my mind. This is Romans 12 too. Remember, we used this in the change series about understanding a changed mind. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know what God's will is for you, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So learn to recognize the reality of the situation we're in. It happens. It's ongoing. We need to be alert and we need to be aware, but we need not be afraid. We need to recognize the lies that come our way and replace it with God's truth. What does God really say about this? And then how do I live that way? I need to recognize my own weaknesses. And so, okay, how do I keep healthy boundaries? How do I have accountability that can help me move forward and not be 
deviated away or detoured away from these things that the enemy would love to get us sideways in. 1 John 4, 4, we said, but you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. And so, as we begin to dive into this series next week and the week after, it's recognizing the reality of what we up against, what we face. But it's also recognizing that God is so much bigger than this. He's so much brighter and more beautiful, and he loves to take these and flip them in the lives of people. For some of you, he did that for you. You were stuck here somewhere, and God flipped it, and your life is completely different because he's changed you. And that's the invitation we have as a church, is to say, okay, this is culture, and we want to push back against the darkness. We want to be a church that brings the hope and light of Jesus into the lives of every single person we interact with and into the heart of Midtown. That this stuff does not write the stories of people who are stuck. That God begins to flip the story and begin rewriting new chapters and new adventures. And so that's the invitation tonight, real simple, is, okay, recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. Recognize the lies in your own life that you buy and stop buying them. Replace it with God's truth. Recognize your own weaknesses and say, God, okay, here's where I struggle. Would you help me have accountability? Help me have people around me. Would you help me to put healthy boundaries that would keep me moving in your direction and not getting sideways in life? And as we worship here in a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper and to remember that all of this Every ounce of power that we have to fight these battles comes from Jesus and Jesus alone, period. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Paul says. And so as we take communion tonight, I invite you, there's communion down front here, gluten-free crackers come in the back. And as we worship in these couple songs, let this be a time where you're asking God to help you recognize to help you recognize how you can pray against some of this stuff in our world and in the lives of people that you love and that you're connected to. And to thank him that we get to stand in his mighty power to face these battles from victory, not trying to fight for victory. We stand in victory. And so, Father, that's what we pray for. As we move to a time of communion, as we continue in worship, God, we want to recognize biblically that we really are in a battle but we're on the winning team. Not because of how good we are, but by how great you are. And you've invited us to be on your team. And the lies that come at us, we don't have to buy them. The attacks that come our way and our weaknesses where we know we're weak, would you help us to stand strong in your power, to recognize that, to put healthy boundaries around us, to have accountability with those. No one's above that. We all need it. And Jesus, we celebrate in song and in communion the greatness of you, that it's through your life and your death and your resurrection that you broke the power of dominion of the enemy in our world. And he could still throw out some darts, but he's defeated enemy. You made it so. 
there's a time clock ticking away and you're going to make it all right in the end. So Father, would you give us wisdom to recognize? Would you help us to pray as we recognize? As you say, Paul, in, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, that we would pray against the work of the enemy, to be a church that brings the hope and light of Jesus wherever we go. We ask in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.